If you're new with us, I want to welcome you like Aaron has already um, and invite you to turn with me to the book of Acts, as some of you who are familiar here do. We do this crazy thing. If you're new, uh, we just preach through books of the Bible, um, and so we are studying and making our way through the book of Acts, uh, verse by verse, line by line. That's what we do it because we love the Word of God. Amen? Uh, the Word of God is, is, is so good, so rich, because it points to our salvation in Jesus, our only hope. And so we are going to cover a lot of text today. We're going to be in Acts chapter 5, verse 12 through the end, verse 42. I think this is the longest chunk of scripture we've covered in Acts to this point. So if you have your copy of God's word, keep that open on your lap. It'll be on the screen behind me. If you have a digital version, I'll be following uh, as, as well. And, and uh, I'm going to probably stick, uh, I can't promise this, but I'm probably going to try to stick closer to my notes so that we don't get in here at, at 75 minutes or something like that. Crazy. Um, but uh, today... I want to look at um, a very common theme at the Advent season, and it just happens to be in this, but one of joy. Uh, all over the place, right? We, we, we see during this season joy, the words joy. We sing about joy. We talk about joy. We see them in neon lights. We see them in Christmas lights. We see them all over the place, the word joy. And, and I think one of the, the beautiful wrestles and struggles and, and striving for believers is to understand what is true biblical joy. Um, and, and I would venture a guess if at Christmas time and Advent season, again, yes, one that rightly the topic is joy, I would venture a guess that Acts chapter 5 would not be a text most people would land in to find joy. Um, this is a peculiar joy that we are not going to get to, hear me, until the end of the text, all right? Uh, but I want us to keep this thought in, in mind of this idea of joy, but it is a strange joy. It is an unusual joy. Um, and, and so as we journey through this, this, this massive, massive amount of, of scripture, I want us to keep that in our minds and in our hearts, that, that this is leading us to a place of joy, the joy that we're going to see in Jesus, in the lives of the disciples. Um, and, and, and two, the big idea, I think, if you are taking notes, because we are covering so much scripture, I want to give the big idea up front. The big idea of this passage, as it relates to joy, is this, is that, that, that gospel ministry, right, gospel ministry is met with both blessing and opposition, and something I don't even have on this slide behind me, but always joy. So in gospel ministry, there is always blessing, and there is opposition that will come, and it's always found joy from in gospel ministry. Joy is always found in it, all right? And, and here's what I, I want us to take, kind of the perspective on Acts, as, as I hope we do every week. We cannot read Acts merely as a bunch of like, uh, again, scholars are good. I, I love scholarship. I love reading. I love books. Okay, I love all that. But we can't approach Acts simply as like a historian. We can't approach Acts, the book of Acts, simply going, okay, this is the history of the church. This is the history of the, the moving of the Holy Spirit. We have to approach Acts, as one writer says, as, as like soldiers, right? Not simply scholars, but soldiers, meaning that the book of Acts is an active book. Like, it is alive and active because the Holy Spirit is alive and active today. So the history of the church informs the reality of the church in its current and also in its future, all right? So we do harm when we just look at Acts as simply history. We have to see that this history informs a current reality, right? And we do a disservice to the interpretation of the Word of God when we come out and we go, man, wasn't that great? But yet we can come to Acts and go, listen, this is what we still long for. This is what we still long to experience and see even in our day to day. And sure, there are some things that are specific to the apostles and to Acts, right? And we'll, we'll pull those out. But Acts 5 
It's one of those things that we can come at, we can approach, right, as the church, as the current church, right? And we can go, listen, we want to yield, we want to glean, we want to hear what the Holy Spirit is saying to us as a local faith family here in 2019 because we believe that the Word of God, the Holy Spirit, is alive and active. Amen? And so we're not just looking back, but we're looking, we're looking at present and also to, to our future. So here's what we see. Gospel ministry brings both blessing and opposition, but always joy. And so that leads to the question, what is gospel ministry, right? What is gospel ministry? So when I said gospel ministry, some of you are like, Kyle, are you, you're preaching a sermon to preachers? Like, like listen, I'm, I'm an engineer. I'm a teacher. I'm an administrator. I'm, I'm a student. I'm in middle school. I'm in high school. I'm in college, right? What is, what is gospel ministry? Well, for those of you that are new, and just as a reminder, something we always say here, listen, when, when we view our role as pastors, as elders, as shepherds, as leaders of this church, Ephesians 4 tells us what our role is. Ephesians 4 verse 12 says this, your role, pastor, elder, shepherd, your role is to equip the saints for the work of the what? Ministry. For the building up of the church. Like so, so our job as leaders is to equip the saints, meaning you and me, believers, disciples, for the work of the ministry. You know what that means? That we are all in the ministry. I know that freaks some of you out, but that's Jesus' call. Every one of us are called to carry out Jesus' call upon our lives in the areas he has sovereignly placed us, the areas that I just listed, right? Whether you're in school, whether you're a stay-at-home parent, whether you're an engineer, whether you're a school administrator, you're a teacher, go on down the list. And so when I describe gospel ministry from Acts chapter 5, here's what I need you to do, and I'm asking the Holy Spirit to contextualize it for you. Contextualize it for where God has sovereignly placed you, right? In the home, in the workplace, in those schools. Like, place it there. There's no way I could do it over two services, right? And hit every one. So I'm asking the Spirit to do it. But as we look at gospel ministry described in Acts chapter 5, the five tenets or the four things really that we'll look at here are true of gospel ministry. They must be. And so let's look at the beginning here of gospel ministry, Acts chapter 5, verse 12 through 16. Now, many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles, and they were all together in Solomon's portico. None of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. Okay, so you have a group here who's looking at what's taking place with the apostles, and they're like, they're kind of like holding it in high esteem, like reverently going, man, that, that is really amazing, but it says that they, they dare not join them. All right? So there's like this, this, this stepping away from what's going on, going, okay, we kind of respect that. We kind of see what's taking place, but we're going to hang back, right? There's another group as well who's peering in, seeing, and look what happens there, verse 14. This is the second group. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord multitudes of both men and women, so that they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats, that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. And this is one of those things in Acts that we would pull out and go, listen, this is not some form of magic. This is not some form of like, you know, mysticism where Peter's shadow kind of held this, this extreme power. It was talking about Peter's presence. And in fact, maybe this is something solely unique to this moment in this time, very similar to the woman with the issue of blood who touches Jesus' hymn of his garment, right? We know that the him wasn't what held the power, it was Jesus, right? So it's not Peter's shadow. So we'll pull things like that out. But that doesn't change the fact that people are being healed, right? 
Look at this. And then verse 16. The people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. This is a picture, hear me, of what gospel ministry entails. And so we want to unpack this section just a little bit as we evaluate our lives as ministers of the gospel, people called into the ministry in whatever sphere God has sovereignly placed you, right? This is what gospel ministry looks like. The first thing is this, and I hope you picked it up over the whole, is that people are being loved. People are being loved, particularly people who are on the fringes or the outskirts are being brought in, drawn near to the apostles and the gospel message that they are proclaiming, right? This is, this is central to gospel ministry. Listen, Jesus himself, when he responds to someone who asks, what are the great, what's the greatest commandment, Lord? And he says what? Love the Lord God with all that you are, every fiber of your being. And he says, wait, 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 wait. The second is like it. Don't miss the second. And the second is what? Love others, right? Love people around you. So what you see in the apostles' gospel ministry, empowered by the Holy Spirit, with the gospel going first, forth, is that people are being loved well with the gospel. The second thing is this, because if that's all that's taking place, it doesn't justify the, the, the tag gospel ministry. You can have people trying to love people and serve people, but they miss the actual gospel, right? That is taking place with the apostles. The gospel is going forth. How do we know that? Verse 14, verse 14 says that more than ever, people are being saved. Second thing, in gospel ministry, people are saved. Like this, is, this is an incredible thing. And we have seen in Acts, if you've been journeying with us, we have seen literally thousands and thousands of people come to faith. The first sermon Peter preached, how many people responded? 3,000. The next time you see 1,000. The next time you see 2,000. And here in verse 14, it says, now more than ever... People are coming to faith in Jesus Christ. Like, this is an incredible ministry. Do you get that? And so people are saying, and listen, as people, individuals and corporately in gospel ministry, this should be our heart's longing. Hear me. Wherever you find yourself, stay-at-home parent, engineer, teacher, pastor, missionary, business leader, doesn't matter. Here is what the impulse of our heart as a Christian disciple should be. We long for people to know Jesus. We long for people to understand the saving power of Jesus Christ. Listen, the church should be growing because of new converts. The church should be growing because continually there are people being saved into her, right? Like that's, yeah, that's the work of a disciple. Go and make disciples. What do we do? We proclaim the gospel and the gospel is the power of salvation to all mankind. That's gospel ministry. But notice, it doesn't just stop with loving and, and, and seeing people saved. Look at what's next, right? It says that they were bringing them to them and they were healed. Like they were bringing the sick to them. People who were marginalized, people like, like the lame beggar who maybe had been lame his whole life. They're bringing in what is happening by the power of the gospel. What's happening? Not because the apostles are great. What's happening in the name of Jesus? People who were sick are now well. Listen, that happens in gospel ministry. Let me, let, let me say unashamedly, we still believe that God heals physically. We just talked about healing the soul and salvation, right? Like we just talked about that. People were being saved. But we also believe that God heals our physical bodies. It's what's taking place here in Acts chapter 5. And so listen, we pray earnestly for healing. We pray earnestly that God would heal our physical bodies. 
And I bet if I took a survey in here, and I won't, and I asked the question, I say, how many of you, you have literally had your physical body healed by Jesus Christ? Like that you have prayed a prayer of faith, God healed your body, and there's no other explanation than that. I bet we'd have hands up all over this room. But yet we still struggle with reminding ourselves in our lives that God has that kind of power to heal and to touch our physical bodies. Right? We have to be reminded by scenes like this in Acts chapter 5 that one of the ministries that we're called to is the laying on of hands and asking God to heal our physical bodies. And listen, does God always heal? Yes. Does God always heal on this side of heaven? No. Does God heal on this side of heaven? Yes. But I will tell you this, that the healing, the healing that takes place on this side of heaven in our physical bodies is God's prerogative. That is his decision. He is a sovereign God, Right? The Bible says that his ways, his understanding are higher than mine. And why he would not and why he does sometimes, I don't know, right? I know many pastors don't say that often. But I don't know why he chooses to sometimes. Why he chooses to delay his healing, right? It's never no. It's either yes or later. And that later comes on that side of the resurrection of our bodies where we're made perfectly whole and perfectly well. However, the responsibility in ministry of the church is this, to be obedient to the scriptures, lay on our hands, and ask God to heal. We see this out of the apostles. And they weren't scared about that. They weren't being informed by some, some you know, big, can I call it what it is? Some big egghead in a leather chair behind a mahogany, mahogany desk going, oh, you know, I don't think that actually, you know, the dispensation of this would heal. You know, like, I, listen, we can go, listen, our God heals. Our God heals. And listen, that doctrine by and large where people would go, I don't think God heals anymore. Let me, get, let me tell you where that root, those roots kind of pervade. In America, that doctrine doesn't travel across the seas. Talk to a missionary. Talk to someone who has been on ground zero where they're like, listen, this is the only hope we've got, right? And they lay hands on and boom, eyes are opened. People stand up and walk, right? And you go argue with that. And they say, well, you can't trust your experience. How are you saved? Your experience, right? That Jesus opened your blind eyes to see him. Our God heals. In part, listen to me, part of gospel ministry, wherever you find yourself, in the church, outside the church, in your workplace, in your school, is understanding that fact and going, listen, our bodies are a result of sin. They're failing and they're deteriorating. Listen, but we know a God who can reverse because he's creator God. And we lay hands and we pray and we ask our God and we trust him. But then there's a difference that happens, right? There's a healing, and then there's a delivering. Did you notice that? It said that they were bringing the sick, and then they were bringing those who had unclean spirits, right? So then there is this idea of a ministry with these apostles in these, this early church that there was also this deliverance that they go, listen, Jesus can deliver you from your oppression, right? Jesus can deliver you from those things that bind you up, those things that handcuff you in sin. Listen, Jesus is the one. The name of Jesus is the one who delivers us. And yes, it's talking about the oppression of, of the demonic specifically here. And you say, well, maybe, you know, I haven't, I don't know that I've really ever ran into that. Really? Or maybe you have, but you, you didn't recognize it as that. Listen, we have an accuser, an oppressor, Listen, that even as believers who wants to chain us to our stuff, who wants to keep us in the jail cell when Jesus has set us free, who wants to press us down in depression and in anxiety, all those places I've been in, in fear and handcuff us. Listen, there is one who delivers. His name is Jesus. There's one who sets the captive free, not just in, in terms of our salvation, yes and amen, but also our lives, right? For freedom, you have been set free. 
But yet so many, even Christians in churches, still walk around in bondage. And what we see in the early church is that their gospel ministry was not just one of loving people, not just one of seeing people saved, but it was also one of healing and delivering, that people were coming, they were bringing their friends, they were bringing their junk and their stuff from the margins and going, listen, we're broke. We've went every place possible. We've turned to everything that this world has to offer, but we're empty. Maybe the name of Jesus is it. Listen, that's gospel ministry. That's what it looks like for you and I to engage in the name of Jesus in the world God has placed us in. We're all in ministry. Don't make a mistake about it. This is what it looks like, and I pray that the Holy Spirit contextualizes. And listen, that's awesome what I just read, right? Like That's amazing. That's, that's a blessing, right? Like that's, that, that gets me excited. Let's keep reading. Verse 17, but, but the high priest, this is the guy with the real big hat, okay, in the group, um, rose up, and all who were with him, that is, the party of the Sadducees, and were filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles and put them in public prison. I'm convinced that our society and our culture is okay with people kind of just, 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 just understanding their, their faith and, 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 and their walk with Jesus and their faith with Jesus as long as it's not public, right? Maybe some of you have, like, as long as it doesn't infringe or kind of seep out into, like, everybody else, like, that's your faith because that's good for you. Like, let me believe what's good for me, and, like, we'll just keep it there. The problem with that, I've said this before, is the Bible. Specifically, the problem with that is Acts chapter 5 of the Bible, Literally everything the early church does, the apostles, is public. They're publicly teaching. They're publicly healing. They're publicly delivering. They are, did you hear it? They are literally put in public prison. Everything's public. Christianity is not ever meant to be privatized. It's not ever meant to be private. It is, yes, an individual thing that must pervade out to a public thing because that's what Jesus calls us to. That's what we see in Acts chapter 5, all right? And what happens? It ends them up in prison. Why? Why was the guy with the real big hat mad, okay? Why was the chief priest and his homeboys, why were they so mad? They were mad because their power was being taken away from them. Did you see what it said? They were jealous. Jealousy. Why do you get jealous? You get jealous because because what you want to hold on to is out of your control now. And they're trying to grasp power and trying to get it back, so they throw them back into prison. Listen, religiosity, that's what it does. Religion, that's where it gets you. It tries to protect itself and its power, but what they're seeing with their eyes, right? They don't have salvation. They don't, they don't have eyes to see it correctly, but what they're seeing with their eyes is a power that's pervading that's not theirs. The power of Jesus is going forth, and they are scared. They are, as the Bible says here, jealous, So what do they do? They react. They put them in jail. Now, here's where we're going to go through a massive amount of text, and I'm just going to let the narrative drive us through it, okay? So hear this. Hear this, right? We had this incredible blessing. Now the guys are in jail, all the apostles, not just Peter and John at this point. Verse 19. And I'd submit to you, I did in the 9 a.m., it didn't go over that well. It actually gets kind of funny here, and it's okay to laugh. Um... I think this is just such a, a way of Luke inspired by the Spirit. This is just a humorous, humorous scene to me. 
Verse 19. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, Go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. Capital L, that's Jesus. And when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. Why is that funny? Point number one, the reason this is funny is because the Sadducees, remember we talked about this group of kind of uh, uh, liberal theologians, if you will, they didn't believe in the resurrection of the dead. Like they didn't believe in that, right? The resurrection of Christ, they didn't believe in any of that. The second thing they didn't believe in is this, angels. They didn't believe in angels. But what does God do to free his people? He sends an angel, right? He's like, hey, I'm I'm actually going to do something that they don't even believe. I'm sending an angel, and he frees them, right? And then here is the, I guess it would be the third thing that I find humorous about this. The angel frees them, right? And so they go, and the angel goes, hey, here's what I need you to do. Preach back in the temple where you were just arrested for the second time. I'm like, I'm like, okay, let, I'm just putting myself in their place. I'm like, I just get out of jail miraculously. I'm like, I'm going to go see my wife and my kids, hug them, have a good meal, probably a warm shower, take a little two-week hiatus, you know. Like, let's, let's just stop. But he goes, no, you're out. Now go preach back where you were. What you have to understand is that these apostles were freed to free people. No different for us. That Jesus has freed us from our sin, not to just go, isn't this great to get in a circle in a holy huddle and go, man, isn't it so good that we're saved? It's so that we might be ministers of reconciliation outward to go, listen, we're freed so that you might know freedom. And freedom has a name and it's Jesus. Listen, that's why we're freed. It's no different for these apostles. They were set free to go keep preaching the gospel back in the place that literally got them arrested. All right, now check this out. The humor still continues, all right? Middle of 21. Now when the high priest came and those who were with him, they called together the council. See, they still think they're in prison. All the synod of the people of Israel and sent to the prison to have them brought. Verse 22. But when the officers came, they did not find them in the prison, so they returned and reported. Yeah, I'd say. You got something to report. Verse 23, we found the prison securely locked. It's like, you want the good news or bad news first, like, right? We found the prison securely locked and the guards standing at the doors, right? So there was, there was the prison doors locked. The guards were there doing their jobs. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. So here's the revelation to this council going, listen, the doors were locked, the guards were in place, but a miracle has taken place, and we don't know how to explain it. And this is what happens every time God moves. Look at verse 24. Now, when the captain of the temple and the chief priests heard these words, they were greatly perplexed about them. Listen, when God moves in a supernatural way, that is always what happens. People are greatly perplexed, both inside the church and outside the church. They're going, we can't understand what is taking place. And so it says they're greatly perplexed, wondering what this would come to. <laughs> Great question. And someone came and told them, look, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Then the captain with the officers went and brought them, but not by force, for they were afraid of being stoned by the people. Being stoned, right? Large stones hurled at them and hurt, all right? Wounded, not cultural stoning, okay? 
Verse 27. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priests questioned them. All right, so do you see what's going on? The angel freed them. They go out. They're proclaiming the gospel. They're preaching and teaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, and, and then back in the little council room, they're going, uh, we don't know how this happened, greatly perplexed. And then like Barney Fife runs up, and he's like, actually, I have found out where they are. I mean, who would have guessed that they're actually right back where they were just arrested? right? Well, he did. And so he found them. And it says that they brought them, right? Not kicking and screaming. Notice this. The apostles aren't like, you know, trying to with force, like do this revolt. In fact, the authorities are just taking them calmly. And so it says that they go with them. The apostles go with them, walk with them before the council. Like what kind of faith is that? What kind of heart, what kind of courage? They were just in prison for the second time. And now they stand again before the council. And here's what the council says to them. Verse 28. We strictly charged you not to teach in this name. By the way, they won't say even utter the name of Jesus. This name. The name. Yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching. Do you get that? You filled Jerusalem with your teaching. Listen to me, that is what a good church does. That is what a true church committed to gospel ministry individually and corporately does. It pervades a whole city with good teaching. And I don't just mean what I'm doing up here. It means with our lives and with our lips, with our homes, with our marriages, with our parenting, with our businesses, with our nonprofits. It fills this city with the sound doctrine of the gospel of Jesus Christ. What kind of teaching is the Parks Church filling the city of McKinney with? What kind of teaching is your life, what is it bringing to your workplace or your school or your circle or your sphere or that team? Listen, what they said and indicted the apostles on is that their teaching of the gospel their teaching of the way, the life, Jesus had influenced all of Jerusalem. And they were sick of it. They hated it. They were jealous over it. And it says in you, the end of verse 28, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us, meaning Jesus. In verse 29, but Peter and the apostles answered. Again, back to just kind of some humor in this. Uh, they just told Peter, don't preach. Stop talking about the way. Stop talking about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Like, we've already warned you, and now we're strictly warning you to stop. Peter is about to preach a 35-word sermon. I love it. They're like, stop preaching. He's like, let me answer you with this, all right? And check it out. It's a sermon. 35 words, 30 in Greek. I know two of you are keeping score. Okay, like, I get it, all right? He says, but Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. That's his lead. That's his intro to his sermon. We've got to obey God over men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader. And, and that's, a, that's a very different word here. That's the word trailblazer. 
That's the one who blazed the trail or made the way of salvation for us, he's announcing there. And Savior, to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. That's the gospel, folks. And we are witnesses to these things, and so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who must obey him. Woo! Peter is bringing it to this council going, listen, I know you guys said I've got to stop talking about this name. I can't proclaim it. I can't preach it, but it's all I got. So I'm going to obey God, God versus you. That yes, you're my authority, but he's my ultimate authority. And so listen to me. Here's what we see, something called civil disobedience. Right? This wasn't a revolt. This wasn't a riot. This was him just going, here are the commands of God. And here are the commands you have given. They're in contradiction. I'm going with Jesus. Right? This isn't, this isn't us going, you know, the speed limit here should be 65 and it's a 45, so I'm actually going to go 65 because civil disobedience. Bit. No. God gives us structures and authorities in our life. Three primary. Family, church, and state. The Bible talks about all of them. All of them. And they place us under those authorities. And actually submitting to those authorities are us submitting to Jesus, Paul says. Read Romans, right? Us honoring them. Jesus goes, listen, give to Caesar what's Caesar's. Right? I'm not going to fight that, that battle. I'm not going to fight that artificial battle. But what you see here is something where there is a contradictory law or a command given that contradicts the law or command of God. You see them go, we're not going to do that. We're not going to bow down to that. It's like those countries where... Where if you have an additional child or you have one child too many, they go, you've got to abort that child. And as believers in Christ, people of the word of God and the way of Jesus, we go, listen, we just, we can't do that, right? Where the state or the law commands something that the Bible doesn't or forbids, or where it forbids something that the Bible commands. That's where these places of civil disobedience are actually obedience to God, the right authority, all right? So hear me. Right? But notice, every time that these guys are in front of the council, it is with the highest level of respect and honor. It's never showing their way or one-upping them. It is literally putting Jesus on display. That's what Peter just did there. And here's what I love. Like, Peter wasn't wasting this moment. Like, he, he knew the ramifications of standing in front of this council. He knew that the next step, because they'd already been before them, was probably death. He wasn't going to waste this moment to display Jesus even more. How many moments, hear me, and I'm asking, I'm asking this because I've been wrestling with this. How many moments do I miss every week before people a chance to display and articulate the beauty and grace of Jesus Christ? Like, I, I miss it. I think the beauty here in Acts 5 is Peter, fearful, no doubt, for his life, is not missing it. There's a greater authority. There's a greater drive shaft in Peter's life. It's the spirit of the living God displaying who Jesus is. And so we see that take place. And so Peter preaches his 35-word sermon. And it says in verse 33, when they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel a teacher of the law. So now you have the Pharisees there as well with the, 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 the Sadducees. A teacher of the law held in honor by all people. Actually, Gamaliel is who Saul, who became Paul, actually learned under, okay? Putting all this together. And so here's what he said. He said he, look at it in verse 34. It says that he gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. Like, it's what I, like, like me with my kids. Like, please, just go outside for like 45 minutes and lock the door and come back tomorrow. Um, <laughs> But it's like, he's like, just, just put these guys outside for a sec. 
Let's breathe, right? I can see you guys are enraged. And Gamaliel, a non-believer, listen, listen to his counsel. Listen to his counsel. And he said to them, men of Israel, he's talking to the council, take care what you are about to do with these men. Think about it. For before these days, the Judas rose up claiming to be somebody, meaning a false Messiah, and a number of men, about 400, joined him. He was killed, and all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of the census and drew away some of the people after him. He too perished, and all who followed him were scattered. So in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. Verse 39. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You need to, under, you need to underline that in your Bible, right? Gamaliel, right, this guy who can't see in terms of salvation, just goes, listen, if this is a hoax, if this is man-powered, if this is manufactured by them, it won't last, so leave them alone. We've seen that in two cases that he just gave. But he goes, but if this is from God, you're not stopping it anyway. You're not stopping it. Listen, church, this should encourage us, right? Why? Because here we are over 2,000 years later. As recipients of the gospel, as a community of faith, sitting here, listening, proclaiming the word of God, listen, it has not failed. Why? Because it's from God. Why is it still going forth like wildfire in China, in the Middle East, and all of these places where it's being persecuted? Because it's from God and no man can stop it. Right? This is Jesus' church, and Jesus said about his church that the gates of hell won't prevail against it. So all these plans and these strategies and these laws and these commands that men want to hand down, listen, they have no power over Jesus. And that's what Gamaliel is saying to them. Listen, let him alone. Either it's going to die or it's going to take off. And if it takes off, here is what he says. Listen to his indictment. You might even be found opposing God. Woo, right? I know Mr. Jackson feels it. I feel it. Right? Some of you need to understand what this is saying, Right? He says, so they took his advice, not because they were like, hmm, this might be from God. They took his advice because they didn't want any more problems, right? They didn't want any, any more issues. And they were like, listen, Gamaliel, we'll, just, we'll yield to you this one time. But they still burned with anger and jealousy, okay? In verse 40, and when they called in the apostles, they beat them, okay? And here's where it doesn't, it's not funny at all. They beat them. And charged them, get this, not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. I think we gloss over those kind of readings in our Bible way too fast. These apostles, all of them. And that beating here is a particular beating that they took. They were flogged. Right? There's some kids in here, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to forego explaining a flogging. But let me tell you that most people who were flogged did not survive that kind of beating. They were beat because they were proclaiming the gospel. Because they were proclaiming Jesus. Not because they were healing. Not because people were, 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 were being loved. Not because people were, were, were delivered. Not because people were... were not, no, because they were proclaiming Jesus. And what was their response? Here's the strange joy. Verse 41. 
Then they left the presence of the council rejoicing. Rejoicing. Worshiping. Clicking their heels. Not that they just had gotten flogged. Why? For they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. That what they had just received is the same thing that their Savior had received. That they were counted as worthy to be treated like Jesus was treated by these same men. They were rejoicing with a deep-seated joy, going, yes, Jesus is the only name. He is the only one who sets captives free. He is the only way of salvation. These scars on my back, they prove it. This flogging, it means that this is what God is doing, that we are part of his fold. That is a joy I don't understand. I'm going to be completely honest with you. Listen, I'm embarrassed sometimes as I've read Acts, even as I have preached Acts to us, how little I have actually experienced in terms of gospel suffering in my life. Anybody else there? Like I read these things and I'm like, I complain about the stupidest stuff. My life is rocked by the silliest, smallest thing. Would I have this kind of joy? I wrestle with that. Would I leave this moment in front of the Sanhedrin who just charged them and flogged them rejoicing like it's a foreign joy? And so I read books of, of men and women who are martyrs, who, are, who have walked through things. I was reading one this week of, 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 of Richard Wormbrand, and some of you know that name. He was a Romanian pastor born into a Jewish, Jewish family in 1909. He just died, I think, like 20 years ago. He's a founder of, of Voices of Martyrs. And so listen to this. Richard Warmbrand, he came out as a pastor and he, he condemned communism in Christianity. When a lot of churches and Christians were like, were like applauding it, welcoming it, he was going, no, this is, this is, this is not it, right? This, he was pushing back against the forces, right? And they put him in jail. They beat him and they put him in jail in solitary confinement. For three years, he didn't see his family or his wife. And his story goes on to tell about how even people around him in these, these jail cells, and they would, listen, they would torment Christians around him, trying to get him to waver from his faith. And they described a different sense in his cell, the sense of joy. And for whatever reason, they let him go. They let him go, having really never showered in three years, having really little to no food, just enough to keep him alive. The rags that he had on from the prison cell, he walked home. He was walking to his house to see his wife. And someone, as Richard tells the story, a lady came with a massive spread of food before him. He hasn't eaten, right? And as he was about to partake of this food, he said, I felt the Lord call me to fast. <laughs> I'm like, what? You didn't hear right, you know? He said, I felt the Lord call me to fast. He said, it, it, was, it was funny because he's like, as I was about to grab for a red strawberry to eat it, he felt the Lord to call him to fast and fast so that he might experience the same joy on the outside of prison that he experienced on the inside of prison. Like, I, what? What is that? 
I'll tell you what that is. That's something you and I can't manufacture. That's something you and I can't sermon our way into. We can't podcast our way into that. We can't read and and, and gather more information intellectually. Listen, that is a work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, filling us up. That is the only way it happens. The only way we see clearly and have this kind of joy and blessing and in opposition is when the Holy Spirit is alive in our life. When our lives are desperate, when we understand that Jesus actually meant what he said in Matthew 5 on the Sermon on the Mount, that blessed are the poor in spirit. Listen, I I come to Jesus, you don't want to know what I come to him as? I come to him as a middle class spirit, right? I'm, I'm not fully poor. No, he says, you come to me bankrupt with nothing and I will fill you up. That is why, listen, that is why Christianity explodes on the margins. That's why it explodes in the fringes when people go, I don't have anything. I have nothing left but you. Fill me. The reason I don't walk in this joy is because I have so much stuff filling me. I don't know how to end this sermon, um, to be completely honest with you. But I know my heart longs. My heart longs to be full of the spirit of the living God with the joy Yes, in blessing and all those things that God has given us as good gifts that we see with our eyes, but also in opposition would prevail. That my faith would be full and durable and deep and not shallow and finicky and complacent. You want to know why? You want to know why, for many of you who have went to third world countries and served on mission, you've poured yourself out in the worst of situations to people who have nothing. You want to know why you're blessed? I hear that every time we go somewhere like that, right? Our our team goes, man, I was full. You want to know why when you're scoffed at, maybe in a class or in an academic institution, there's something that you walk out of there going, I kind of feel more alive. You want to know why when when you're depressed and you're full of anxiety and then you have a gospel conversation that you're like, yeah. You don't know why when we come to texts like Acts chapter 5, we go, that's what I want. You want to know why that is? That's because it's true. That's because the Holy Spirit is still moving and operating in this way. If we just go, God, I need you. God, I want you. Not to manufacture some experience, but so that you're known as a real God, a God who loves your people, a God who saves, a God who heals, a God who delivers. Listen, that's, that's the church I want to be a part of. That's the community. That's, 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 that's the direction I want to run. Let's pray. God, forgive us of people who are so easily swayed 
and easily filled up with the wrong things. God, this joy to me in Acts 5 seems foreign to my life. It seems opposite of my reaction and often is. God, I want to know this kind of joy. I want to experience the beauty of this kind of movement of your spirit. God, may we as a church humble ourselves, admit that we are poor and broken so that you might make us more and more into the image of your son. God, I pray for us as a church. I thank you for the journey you have us on, that you're using the book of Acts to steer us and guide us. But I pray for us this week, wherever we land, wherever we find ourselves, that we would not miss opportunities to see your spirit work and be alive, that we would not cower under the fear of men and women who we think, who we have given, who I've given authority over me. Jesus, your, your name is the only name we have. Jesus, we will never stop proclaiming it because it's all we have. It's my only hope. It's my only salvation. It's the only way of healing. So God, come what may, both blessing, opposition, I trust, though, that along every step of the way, you'll be there. And where you are, I can take joy. So Lord, help us. Help us as a church be faithful tomorrow, today, with what we've heard and what we've read. For your glory, it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen.